0: Hello, everybody. This is My Seattle Mixtape, the podcast where we listen to albums from the 80s and 90s from the Seattle music scene. And we pick a song from those albums to put on our own personal My Seattle Mixtape. I'm Zachary Johnston.
1: I am David Gordon.
0: And today we have a very special guest who is a colleague of mine at Uprocks and who is the artist of all of our Beautiful graphic art for my Seattle mixtape, Mr. David Pemberton. Hello, Dave.
2: Hello, everybody.
0: Welcome to Berlin and my Seattle mixtape.
2: Yeah, welcome to the show, Dave. It's great to be in Berlin. I always love Berlin this time of year, so it's really nice to be here.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is just you know spring just broke. The birds are starting to sing, mm. and it's no longer minus ten.
1: Oh man, there's been snow in April before. Let's not count our chickens just <laughs> hey, yet. Hey, I heard the
0: birds. I heard the birds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Today, we are actually doing something a little different. As you heard in the intro, we were playing Kaios, which is not a Seattle band. It's a California desert band. Uh, Basically, we're bringing in extra outside of Seattle bands. Dave, why don't you tell us what we're doing?
1: Yeah. So as Zach said, we're taking in bands that are not from Seattle, but that we will argue individually belong in some way to a Seattle sound or maybe even grunge, but maybe not necessarily grunge. So each of us, uh, Zach, uh, the other Dave and I are bringing four songs each, and we're going to go round by round and battle through them until only one remains standing from the 12, which will go on the mixtape. We've brought bands from all over the US and also all over the planet, rock bands, punk bands, post-hardcore bands from the 80s and 90s. I don't know if everybody out there in listener land is going to agree that all of them belong in the Seattle mixtape, but we have our own personal reasons for, for including them.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's sort of, it's interesting because uh, there's a bit of influential pre grunge bands there's a little of the time and a little post even
1: yeah and also if each one has to also satisfy six degrees of matt cameron which uh, we'll get to afterwards
0: <laughs> or butch Vig,
1: <laughs> right well that's easily done It yeah. go straight to pass for one of them then right or steve albini <laughs> mm-hmm. okay so i think we should actually just jump in just jump right in because we have like i said we've 12 songs to get through yep uh, you're gonna go first, Zach. I song am. one, round one.
0: Yes. Well, I, I sort of tried to go female centric since uh, the grunge scene was very male centric, and so I want to start with L7, which was. A band from Los Angeles, which, I mean, let's be honest, they were a huge part of the time in the scene. They toured with everybody in Nirvana and Hole. I mean, they, they were part of the scene. They just happened not to be from Seattle. So sort of like, for me, this band fits straight in. The song I'm picking is from uh, the Bricks Are Heavy album from 92, and the song is Everglade. And uh, this was actually recorded between uh, the Smart Studios in Madison and Sound City in Van Nuys by uh-huh. none other than Mr. Butch Vig. In nineteen ninety two.
1: Can you think of any other albums that were recorded in Smart Studios and then also Sound for the City Finch and Sound Eyes? City? Um, hmm. there's that. Bad oh well, never mind. Play the song. <laughs> never <laughs> mind,
0: yes. Anyway, so L7's a fucking amazing band, first of all. Uh Donita Sparks, Susie Garden, uh Jennifer Finch, and Demetra Plakes. This is actually a Jennifer Finch song and written song. And uh it was one of the first uh singles off the album, I think so as well. And I just love this song, so maestro if you will. That's some energy right there, and there's Butch that's Vig. That's lovely. Yeah, there's nice. Butch Vig all over that. Which, I mean, that's sort of my argument. That's why I brought this first. It's sort of like my biggest hit, because I feel like that song slides right into all the other shit we've been talking about. Yeah. I mean, it fits. It's 92. Um, it's an amazing band that I wish I would have seen live back then. It's um, very catchy as well. It's very catchy, but it's also awesome riffs going on Yeah, throughout. Mr. Uh, Dave P., what do you got?
2: Uh, you know what, guys? I think I'm going to start with uh, Fugazi, and nice. it's yeah. the song. Yeah, it's Fugazi. It's the song "Waiting Room," which uh, you know it was released originally on just the Fugazi EP in '88. But like, all good, uh, like post-punk and post-hardcore bands out of D.C., the song kind of showed up on like three or four different albums in the span of about two years. Right. So, yeah, it was first just EP, then it was seven songs, and it was, I think, Margin Walker, and then it was eventually 13 songs. And all that's produced by a guy named Ted Nicely – And uh, this engineer named Don uh, Ziantara, which I'm really hoping I'm pronouncing that name correctly. I just have realized that I've never actually heard it spoken aloud. But these guys, uh, if you're not familiar, are from the DC scene, which is where post-hardcore really gained a lot of momentum. And, you know, Zach, I know that you love uh, sub-pop because of all of this great grunge music. But I came to sub-pop through emo. And I know that's kind of like a salacious subject. Uh, <laughs> How dare you, emo, sir? <laughs> yeah. I'm, excuse I'm so sorry that I uttered the word <laughs> emo in this podcast, but it's, I think, a fascinating genre because people who define a band as emo, they don't say anything about the music, right. you know, which is why you have such desperate sounds within it. But that genre really got kicked off with all this post-hardcore stuff out of D.C., and I think Fugazi is a really, 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 really great example and kind of intersection with the, you know, late 80s, early 90s grunge. Let's give it a listen. Yeah, that's that's all I got, yeah.
0: I can imagine Dave Grohl's skinny punk ass in the 80s jumping around at one of their shows in DC.
2: (laughs) Hell yeah, I love that song. Fugazi, man. It's weird for me to think that that's an 80s song because it doesn't sound to me like anything from the 80s, like when you think of a stereotypical 80s track. I just really love it, man. I love that weird bass line. I love that the guitar riffs kind of feel like a heart palpitation. It, to me, it sounds like someone just spit beer in your face at a club, and you're just you're about to get into a fight. And I love it so much with it's, Dave Grohl. <laughs> with Dave Grohl, he's yeah. Dave Grohl is about to beat the shit out of you, and it's going to be awesome. Uh, but no, yeah, I love that. I love that. You know, and I think a big thing for me with Fugazi and especially that song and 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 songs off this album, however you want to call this album, is all of the bands that kind of went on and were created as an attempt to emulate. Fugazi. You know, I think one of my favorite bands, uh, Sunny Day Real Estate, definitely comes out of that tradition. And every band that I grew up loving, I think, was sort of born uh, right around the time that bass line hit in that song.
0: Yeah. And there's definitely a through line with even when you get to Melvin's and yeah. fecal matter more so than uh, <laughs> the following band incarnation of that band. Mm-hmm. Um, and a bit even there's a little Green River in there as well
1: again it's like you don't have to hear exact correlations but I mean you know that like most of the guys in the bands we were talking about were fans of Fugazi yeah Yeah. Chris Cornell definitely mentions them Eddie Vedder definitely mentions them Mm -hmm. Um, Mm
0: -hmm. well and that's the thing sort of uh, in the 80s at the time you know uh, Gorilla Gardens there were two stages right next and one was punk and one was metal and, you know, they just sort of go back and forth between the two and they go from, you know, literally like Fugazi over to literally one time Guns N' Roses mm. in the same place at the same time. Well, not the exact same yeah. time, but you know what I mean? Like that's where that whole scene was birthed from. Yeah. So. Yeah, man. I, I dig it. It's hard not uh, to dig it. I know, right? I think it's time for uh, David Gordon to uh, wow us with his pick.
1: Oh, well, uh, thanks for putting me on the hot seat there. So uh, in this round one, I'm going to go with the little known band from the small town of Chicago uh, called The Smashing Pumpkins. Who's who's that now? Um, (laughs) Is that Mr.
0: William Corgan?
1: That's Willie Corgan on the guitars and the vocals. James Iha on guitar. Darcy Retzky on bass. And Jimmy Chamberlain uh, on drums, the classic. Smashing Pumpkins' lineup, which changed a few times over the years. Gonna go early, their, uh, their first album, Gish, which was released in May of 1991 on Caroline Records, produced by Butch Dutch Vig, d- 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 uh, and again recorded <laughs> in uh, Smart Studios in Wisconsin, where we know Vig has a tendency to operate from. And the track is I Am One.
0: never stop blowing my mind that Butch Vig produced this the same year as he produced Nevermind and Eight Way Santa. Yeah. Like, never stop blowing my mind.
1: <laughs> you, I feel you can hear it in the drum sound, certainly.
0: Yeah. The thing, though, like, yeah. I, you can almost hear Butch Vig pulling the reins back on Billy Corgan, though. Just like, whoa, boy, come on. In hold it, on. Yeah,
1: in a good way. Oh, um, yeah. As a teenager, I was never a fan of Billy Corgan's singing voice. And I had tons of friends who were big Pumpkins fans and I was like I think like, they're called Pumpkin Heads, David pum- Pumpkin Heads, right Oh, come on <laughs> um, So, fans of the band The Smashing Pumpkins and I always liked the guitar work but I've always thought but that guy has such an awful voice strangely it doesn't really bother me anymore and I guess I probably have listened to uh, Stranger Stuff in the meantime He's you know? worn you down He's worn me down but like, you know after you get heavily into the Mars Volta you, anybody can sing like whatever they want then at that point <laughs> Fair, fair I think this sits alongside so much of the other stuff uh, for so many ways I love the double guitar solo so Corgan and Iha are both playing these lead guitar bits and if you you can watch YouTube videos of them doing it and they're just both totally shredding and as someone who can barely play the E minor chord it's amazing to watch yeah there's kind of a funky
0: almost uh, Chili Peppersness to the bass line as well yeah,
1: yeah I mean the, you know this is their first album they haven't quite figured out where, where they're going but they're doing something right on this yeah
0: I agree with you on the voice, though, as it's it didn't pull me out of it. But it felt like when I listen to like this compared to like L seven, yeah, like to me L seven slots right in, where this feels like is from somewhere else, and I don't know which is better or worse. I'm not saying one is better or worse, mm. but it's like it's sort of a it like is the fucking pumpkins, man, and they just sound so unique.
1: I can also say that even though we just listened to it, I couldn't possibly hum it for you. <laughs> Go ahead, Dave.
2: Uh, yeah, it's it, it's interesting because like um, you know, whenever I think of the Pumpkins, and I was I was never like a big Smashing Pumpkins fan, but I think of Infinite Sadness hmm. and the way uh, Billy's voice sounds on that to me connects really close to like a lot of the weird stuff that was coming out from Elephant Six, like you know, um, milk Hotel and Major Oregon and I feel like there was a time and place, like in the mid '90s to late '90s, when really weird voices that objectively weren't very good at singing were very popular in like artsy music. Right. And that's kind of where Smashing Pumpkins hits for me. If I, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I yeah. clock that for sure. Yeah, but I because yeah. I, I feel like his voice has mellowed into. Like as I just, he just did a tiny desk concert and it was fucking beautiful because he's taken that like young pissed off sort of like I've got somebody to prove edge off of it Mm. and there is something nice underneath.
1: But I think like his vocals on I Am One in particular, I find them less annoying than many of the songs on Infinite Sadness. Hi, Billy, if you're listening. Yeah, um, oh, And uh, also a if you're listening. Good job. <laughs> hey, but like, I think Corgan is an amazing guitar player. I think James E is an amazing guitar player. And uh, Darcy Retsky is a great bass player. And Chamberlain is a phenomenal drummer. It's a, it's a good band. Yeah, um, and
0: iconic for the time.
1: We should vote.
0: Yeah. I think since Dave went last, he has to vote first.
1: Oh, I thought we were going to do a private ballot. That's oh, what I'm used ballot. to. <laughs> I, I vote for your pick, Zach. I hadn't actually, I don't think I was into that song before, heard it before, and I really liked it. Not that I don't like Fugazi, but I'd heard that one
2: before. So I'm voting for L7. Cool. Uh, Dave P? Well, I mean, I think this is, this is going to seal my fate, but I'm, I'm going to have to vote for L7 as well.
0: Oh, well then L7 moves on. So
1: no no further voting. <laughs> Polling yeah. is now closed on round
2: one. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. All right.
0: Marching onward. That means it's my turn to one pick again. So um, yeah, I'm going to stick with uh, the female-driven rock and roll and pick Veruca Salt uh, from their album American Thighs, All Hail Me. This came out in uh, September 94, so around the same time as uh, Super Unknown. Uh, which was sort of the peak, I guess, of the grunge era, if you want to fucking call it that. I don't know. Anyway, it was produced by Brad Wood, <laughs> who's a uh, <laughs> who's a big indie producer who's produced like a fucking shitload of albums of great indie bands. Um, so it's Nina Gordon on guitar and vocals, also Louise Prost, who actually wrote the song and sings it. Then uh, Steve Lack and Jim Shapiro on bass and drums. Um, again, I just love the energy of this song. It's Farouk Salt. They're a fucking amazing band. Let's give All Hail Me a listen. Yeah. So that was uh, Veruca Salt resonating to 2018. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, I just I fucking always dug that sound. I mean, it's just a, it's a tight band. The voices are beautiful. Just the way they sort of, mm. the mix sort of echoes and it grabs you and pulls you in, makes you listen to it. Um, it's just a jamming track. I love it. Yeah. Um, what do you think, Dave? You're, you're smiling at me.
1: I'm smiling at you. I'm just uh, <laughs> smiling at you. You're my friend. You're sitting right across me. I'm smiling at you. You're like I'm not I'm like smiling at you because I'm about to eat you or anything. Uh, I liked it. It was that was cool. I don't think I heard that song before. Oh, nice. Yeah, cool. I mean, I feel like
0: Veruca Salt doesn't get their due. They were all over the radio and MTV at the time mm. in the in the mid '90s, but then sort of just kind of dissipated. Unfortunately, I mean, they're still around, but uh, like they never had like a Slater Kenny level of. It's always the
1: same though, because like they're women, then they get thrown in then with so many other bands that they don't really even like, for example, they sound nothing like L7 (laughs) already had 10 minutes Mm. ago, Yeah, you know, Uh, but they'll all get thrown in together as if it's somehow the same thing because they happen to be women.
0: Right. Right. Anyhow, Mm -hmm. moving on, David, what is your next pick?
2: Um, well, it is one that I think is like pretty sure not to win this round of votes. <laughs> uh, I'll start there. It's a good <laughs> place it, to start. Uh, yeah, I just want to set the bar, set the standard. It is, uh, it is Drive Like Jehu's." uh Do You Compute. And we don't have to listen to the whole thing. It is a pretty long track, if I'm not mistaken. But, um, it's off the album Yank Crime that came out in 94, released, you know, they're were band from San Diego. But it's a really interesting record because I think it kind of sets this strange... Standard in the scene of putting out uh, a record and then breaking up almost immediately after, which is what uh, Jay, who did it really interestingly enough, uh, uh, John Reyes from the band, he went on to form Rocket from the Crypt, which is another great act. I love Rocket from um, the Crypt, but yeah, love Rocket from the Crypt. I think he's in Hot Snakes currently. They just signed to Sub Pop, which has been really exciting. And I don't know if you guys are Hot Snakes fans, but um, great time to uh, restock all your vinyls. They're being reissued on Sub Pop right now. But right um, on. A couple of favorite facts about this album: a guy in this band uh, named Mark Trombino. He went on to become a record producer and an audio engineer uh, after this album, working with bands uh, such as Blink One Eighty Two and Jimmy Eat World, Horror. which is just a really strange <laughs> thing to have done. And kind of sad yeah. if you think about it too much. Yeah, we try not then to. Also, do Mike. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I try not to think about Blink One Eighty Two as much as possible. But um, <laughs> then there's this guy, uh, Mike Kennedy. He left music to become uh, a chemist. He's, he's a successful chemist. Hmm. So, um, yeah, just a weird, weird history from this album. But yeah, it's a, it, it's a solid track. Let's, uh, let's give let's her a spin it. Great.
0: realize just what this band reminds me of. It's like, this is exactly who Kurt Cobain would have taken to open for him when he went solo. Hmm. You know, like this is what I would expect to hear as the opening band for Kurt, like very sort of esoteric, I, but rocking.
2: I mean, you know, it, it makes sense because like one of the things that I really love about that song is that it like really actively doesn't care about its audience. It's a very rude song. Like if you, if you're listening to it with headphones on uh, at least three or four times, you're going to wince in pain. Because it just like, I don't know, it pulls so many like sharp turns. Almost sounds like they're making it up as they go along. (laughs) I don't know. It just doesn't care about you. And there's something about that that's really endearing. That's why I think Kurt would have dug it. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we were both rocking out here. I mean, it's it's a rocking
0: track. I
1: listened to it. I had never heard of these guys until we were emailing back and forth in the last couple of weeks about what songs we might bring today. And I just listened to a clip of it on YouTube the other day. Uh, But this is my first time listening to the whole thing. I I like it. It's really good. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You're welcome. Your life is different. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Welcome.
0: Yeah. This is what I sort of love about this episode is is like we're just listening to good music and really loving it. Uh, Let's break that fourth wall a little more. So, uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) There's few tracks or bands or however you want to put it that puts you in a place that feels like someone. Like I said, it, it felt like Kurt weirdly. Like just that, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Or maybe I'm thinking more like Neil Young as well, where, you know, he was sort of like, fuck it, you know what? I'm going to do a synth album. I'm going to put on a fucking skinny tie and I'm going to go out and I'm going to tour it. Mm -hmm. And my fans are (laughs) going to like it or not. I don't give a fuck, you know? Like that don't give a fuck attitude. Yeah, man. Irish Dave,
1: what do you got? Uh, Something completely different from uh, this last thing. (laughs) Again, it's another band that I closely associate with grunge for lack of a better term they were definitely a grunge band that was not from Seattle Uh, accused oft of jumping on the bandwagon which is something as a fan of theirs I would reject utterly they're more commercial than the first two bands we've had in this round Uh, I'm talking of course about the Stone (laughs) Temple Pilots (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm going to take a track off their second album, Purple, uh, which came out in 1994, Atlantic Records. And we're talking about the brothers Dan DeLeo on guitar and Robert on bass, Eric Kretz on drums and the late Scott Wieland on vocals. And the song is Kitchenware and Candy Bars. Oh, that's a fucking good, good hardcore pick.
0: Temple Pilots. So there's another (laughs) five
1: or six minutes of silence and then the the secret song starts.
0: Uh. Um, Oh, I miss secret songs. Yeah. Yeah, I know. that's why I'm glad vinyl and cassettes are coming back. You get those secret songs again.
1: Yeah, I don't know, a secret song and a vinyl is just annoying because I find the record just has a tendency to rotate and then you're like, oh yeah, I have to lift the needle to put <laughs> sure, it onto try. the end. <laughs> I love that song. It's very simple. Like this, ba-ba-ba-ba-ba, like melody that builds and really evolves over the course of the song and then coming in with that very dirty guitar solo at the very end and I also love the evolution of of Scott Whelan's vocals in it like he's singing so softly at the end he's a real like uh, Sonic Chameleon uh, yeah. lesser known Sega mm. Mega Drive uh, oh my game. god yeah. but I think this is one of the songs where he's actually singing most like himself I mean even on the rest of this album he's he sounds a bit like Lane sometimes or he sounds a bit like Kurt sometimes and I think on this track or tracks like this, he sounds like himself, and you you hear there's the, something in the tone of the the start of it, and you hear it as well on like another favorite of mine on this album is Big Empty. I think that's one of their one of their better songs, and I think that that's one of the songs too where they said we're actually doing something different than you thought we were doing. You know, you thought we were just ripping off Nirvana and Pearl Jam, but we have uh, something slightly different going on. I don't know. I think they're underrated. What year was this album again? Uh, This was 94. This was 94 already? Yeah. Wow, okay. Uh, And I forgot to mention, this is produced by Brendan O'Brien. So, yeah. So no surprises that there are some elements of uh, Pearl Jam sound in it. I heard this, I'd say I was already long into Alice in Chains and already long into... Soundgarden and Nirvana I think we had kind of slightly missed Stone Temple Pilots um, and then I got into this and I was I couldn't believe how good it was because it is so simple like there's there's very little to the vocal melody or to the main guitar if it just kind of builds progressively yeah plus I mean Scott Whelan's voice is
0: just fucking amazing yeah like say what you will about the band or derivativeness or whatever the fuck people like to bandy on about yeah the dude had a fucking voice that was amazing yeah we got to vote now don't we we do i guess i'll go first this Stand time to vote since it's all uh, we'll switch mm. it around man i'm torn i don't know who to vote for oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> i'm so ba, 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 sorry ba, ba, stone ba, temple pilots but i gotta go i gotta go with dave p and j <laughs> who i'm sorry i got hell yeah. I, just, <laughs> yeah I just got such a curt vibe off all that nice. track that i i can't shake
1: it so
2: yeah mr p yeah, I guess it's one of the days gotta vote now. Yeah. Uh I'm gonna have to go with Baruch Assault. That track got me. I had never heard it before, and that, that like opening kind of scream, that wail, that won me over just about immediately. So
1: I don't know what to vote for because I really <laughs> yeah, like the um the drive like Jehu track, but I don't think it belongs on this mixtape. I wanna put it on a different mixtape. I feel we have a like a certain vibe established on the tape and this is, like, a little bit not quite that, even though I really liked it. And, I like, I will be putting it on a YouTube playlist or something when I go home, you know? And I wasn't utterly swayed by Veruca Salt, either. Well, you can't vote for yourself, David. I know that. And there would be no point, because it would just be one vote, so... I'm throwing my way behind Jehu, so. Yeah, you said that. You vote already. Now it's my vote, so. <laughs> well, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to sway your vote. Yeah, so basically. Um,
0: I'm trying to like get hands off my vote, Zach. I'm going to be a lobby. Here's $50 million. I'll take it. Drive like Jehu. I'll
1: take your $50 million. All
0: right. So drive like Jehu passing through to the final round. All right. All right. Well, that's. uh I, All right. That, that works for me, man. I can't believe it won, guys. That was $50 million. What was I going to do? <laughs> All right. Well, that's back to yeah, me I then, so. isn't it? Shit. I'm going down the California desert with Caius First album, Wretched, which is... I fucking love this album but one of the songs that i just love on this album there are probably better tracks so i'm maybe kicking myself in the ass here a little bit but son of a bitch is just one of my favorite songs from this band in general <laughs> because it's just it's that driving dun, 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 dun. god damn so, i mean it's just a song i feel like i'm driving through joshua tree every time this song comes on
1: i feel like we shouldn't play it i think you should just i should just sing it yeah
2: God damn. I would love to hear you sing it, yeah. Yeah,
0: me and John Garcia, we were separated at birth, evidently. Um, But anyway, this came out in September of 91, which was actually a fucking, literally, I think, yeah, wasn't that like a a month? (laughs) Yeah. A month before Nevermind came out, and uh, right around the same time as 10. Yeah. Anyway, this came out, you know that fateful autumn of 1991 um it was uh comes to you from sunny burbank california where it was recorded uh, it's john carcia on vocals it's josh homie on guitar who Ooh. josh homie uh, six degrees of mark lanagan right? yeah exactly i mean who became kind of the guy with the role of post grunge with queens of the stone age and 50 million other projects also known for kicking photographers in the face oh stop <laughs> Hey, we all have our bad (laughs) moments. Um, Friend of Anthony Bourdain. This is one of the best white man names ever. Brant Bjork on drums. And uh, Nick Oliveri on bass. Um, it was produced by the band. It was released on, uh, Dolly records, which I am not familiar with that label. Um, but yeah, it's from fall of 91 when all this sort of came up to the surface, even though Caius wasn't, it was more MTV two than MTV main station. 61. Yeah. MTV one. Um, but also, I mean, this is when, you know, whenever Dave Grohl was asked, you know, who's gonna, you know, carry on this sound, he always said Caius and I tend to agree because this was a great fucking band, short-lived of course, but gave us great music throughout the 90s till fucking today, so son of a bitch. yeah motherfuckers
1: (laughs) gets all kill them all there and then slows down again
0: i know i just love that breakdown that comes with it it's just the song changes up
1: it's good man i like Caius. yeah you
0: can't go wrong Caius. i mean i don't know what else you
2: want me to say man that's a fun track yeah here's a question do you guys ever listen to the misfits sure yeah okay yeah it's a weird it's a weird question does that answer your question uh, (laughs) yeah it's all i got Thanks guys, it was great being on the podcast. Uh, (laughs) All right. um,
0: That's David Penburton, everybody.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They have a song called Where Eagles Dare, I think, and they have a lyric in the chorus. It's I Ain't No Goddamn Son of a Bitch. Ah. I wonder if that's an allusion to this song. Interesting.
0: Interesting yeah let's get the misfits on the phone, shall we?
1: <laughs> There's speed <L6>. six <laughs> speed six yeah no, that's that's <laughs> actually a, that's an interesting thing. yeah, like yeah. I said,
0: I, I just really dig this track. also, you know, it's from that magical autumn of ninety one. Yeah, if I was driving from l a to Las Vegas in the autumn of ninety one, this song would be awesome to be listening to while you know you're doing a little uh fear and loathing action okay fine maybe it doesn't it's
1: stone or rock you ha- like yeah. it is that's psych- like it's psychedelia to some extent there's stuff not necessarily this song but best listened to with some assistance yeah yeah uh, maybe that's why I like it. <laughs> anyway, are we gonna are we gonna get to leave the state of California, or are we do we stay here for one more song?
0: I, I think we'll just be the All California podcast okay. episode. Dave, take it away. What's your next pick?
2: Yeah, well, don't worry because I am leaving California <laughs> and I'm going back to Washington D.C. This is kind of cheating. Uh, this is a song from Rights of Spring, and they're kind of it's it's essentially Fugazi again, uh, but before. <laughs> I think the, the overlapping members here are going to be Guy Picciotto and uh, Brendan Canty, who they were both in Fugazi and Rites of Spring, but also this album was, I think, produced by Ian McKay of Embrace. And I think that's important because Embrace and Rites of Spring are both considered, depending on who you talk to, the first quote-unquote emo band. Which I don't think fits, but <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Call uh, it. You know they don't look at me. I well, haven't got a clue. Exactly. Like, like... <laughs> fun bit of trivia: um, the term emo, that word, is attributed to a Rights of Spring concert when a disgruntled fan, who I think was like previously a fan of Minor Threat, was upset that these guys had left and formed this new band, and he yelled out the word emo core as huh? like a derogatory word. Uh, and so that's where it came from so when you think of I mean emo started as a pejorative like it was always offensive which is why it's probably the world's shittiest genre but one that I'm still kind of obsessed with because it makes no sense but I don't anyways, know if that's fair track,
1: world's shittiest genre
2: I mean listen if there's a genre that can have "Rights of Spring and My Chemical Romance and Dashboard <laughs> Confessional then like maybe, maybe we should just burn it to the ground okay, I don't know okay. I, I, I get um, where you're coming from <laughs> but, fair fair yeah this album came out the song came out in 85 which in dc in the punk scene was known as revolution summer and it's kind of like the birth of uh, a post-hardcore and kind of the start of this new movement of music that uh you know i really was a fan of but uh yeah the song's called drink deep which you know alcohol's great so uh <laughs> yeah it's a good track right we'll, on. See, we'll see how it does
0: I imagine this is what Mark Arm used to like lecture Jeff Amitt and Stone Gossard with when they're in green river and him being like, dude, we should be more like right to spring. And Jeff and Stone just being like, yeah, we're going to go form uh Pearl jam now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that like, that is why I love this band because you can, you can kind of connect the dots narratively between like every other band. Yeah. You can really see, how it it just had this like really these long influential tendrils, you know?
0: Yeah, I can also imagine kind of like Dave Grohl stepping on my boot at this concert and then like just <laughs> <laughs> like, getting in a shoving match with him and then kind of like just not getting in a fight because the, the the music isn't, it's not as intense, you know, it's, it's got a. There's
1: something transcendental yeah. about it. I kind of yeah. forgot what I was doing here yeah. while I was listening to that. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Kind of came coming out of a haze just in the last few seconds. I don't know if I want to put it on the mixtape though. I don't know if it quite like <laughs> I hear you guys talking about the the tendrils, and I'm trying to follow them, but I'm not quite hearing it.
0: What I like about it, though is it's like there is a historical
2: aspect to it.
1: Not saying I don't like it. i again, I'll put it on a different mixtape. No, no.
2: <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I think all the picks that I came today with, which will be not a spoiler, but you know, evident in my last pick, but they're all it's all for a historical. Like, we are archivists putting together information for, you know, future generations. That's kind of how, how I approached it. So, yeah. you know, for me, this is like the historical context of why it's important. Not necessarily that it's the best song. Yeah. Although I would say I think that's the best song. <laughs> don't, don't worry, Irish Dave. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a refined taste. So.
1: Not at all about a question of taste. Um, Zach mentioned in episode one something about a, a Seattle pie. And we've been baking that pie over a number of months and I just wonder have we just thrown in a little bit too much salt or, you know, whatever. <laughs>
0: but but <laughs> no, but I, I kind of like this that we're we're looking at other things that are tangentially related and sort of Finding that sort of balance of a lot of the people we fucking talked about in this podcast went through Ride of Spring and Fugazi and these bands to get to where they were. Yeah. To the music they got to. And I agree with Dave. That cannot be denied. Yeah. This sort of archival aspect of it is hugely important as well. That all being said, we should probably move on to Dave's track to see uh, what he's going to bring for us next. So
1: we're moving into the future. So that was 1985. I'm ticking us to 1995. And not only are we leaving the state of California, we're leaving the United States, we're leaving the Northern Hemisphere, and we're going to Australia. And that can only mean Silverchair and their debut album, Frog Stomp. But the track I want to talk about is Tomorrow, which actually came off their EP Tomorrow, which came out in 1994. I loved these guys as a teenager, and they're still, for me, a not remotely fucking guilty pleasure. It's such catchy, super heavy, dramatic, melancholic Uh, grunge, pop rock. Daniel Johns, the vocalist, has an amazing voice and over Silverchair's career, they go on to become utterly beyond grunge and into I don't know what. I mean, the guy does like a piano funk cover of Come As You Are at some festival you can look at. And I mean, it's disgusting if you're a Nirvana fan, but you look like he can sing anything like Scott Whelan could. But what really blew me away when I was a teenager was that these guys were just like a year or two older than us. So I heard this first when I was maybe 15 and they were 16 and they already had an album out that sounded as good as that they wrote this song when they were 15 recorded it Holy the same shit. year they won awards in Australia for it the album Frog Stomp the following year they were 16, 17 they went on tour supporting the Red Hot Chili Peppers all over the US and I think outside the US when they were 17 with their parents chaperoning them <laughs> it's amazing Like, and there's utterly derivative grunge songs on this album Uh, But there's also something, like, super special about it. The vocals are indecipherable. He's singing about water being very hard to drink. Just, like, (laughs) give you that. Hit it, Adrian, please. will admit I have new respect that they were only 16 when they made that. There's no bathroom and there is no sink and the water out of the tap is very hard to drink. I mean I couldn't tie my own shoelaces when I was 15 so (laughs) like that they were doing this uh, is crazy. I I still love that song like 20 years later. Uh, It's nothing new like they're not not breaking any new ground but uh, there's a real power to Daniel John's vocal delivery in that and I feel that he only kind of barely managed to just latch some obscure lyrics onto it his voice does all kind of little subtle things and inflections here and there really yeah. reminded me of presidents of the united states of america yeah but it's so much better than the presidents so
0: i disagree better. there are only three of them with like seven strings between them there's
1: only three of them
0: That's uh, true <laughs> but they're australian
1: they're good at everything so they kind of counts as an extra person yeah <laughs> Uh, what do you think, Dave? Well, B? there was two crocodiles in the band. I forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> and a wallaby.
2: Uh, it, it's interesting because that sound just, to me, feels so much like being back in Seattle in '95. Mm. Like, yeah, that's what it sounded like to me. That you know, and I feel like I probably have some distant memory of being at a, a record store. I think that was on Eighth and Battery in Seattle, called Singles Going Steady. Yeah, and uh, they were playing this song. I think I feel like I have that memory. Yeah. So it's a wave of nostalgia I was not expecting today. So thank you for that.
1: Yeah, I'll take that. (laughs)
0: Right on. Yeah. Well, in voting order, Dave, you're actually the next to vote. So
2: who you got? Uh, I'm going to have to go with the Silver Church track, man. I mean, I think uh, I, I was really sold on that piece of trivia that they were so young. I didn't know that. I never knew that about them. And that is wild to me. Yeah. Like just so. the organizational alone. It's my yeah, there's a music video the for motivation. this.
1: And I mean, they look right. like they look like kids in this. It's amazing, you know, like like little kids. <laughs> Wild. Yeah. Mind blowing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm just gonna cut through, and I'm gonna vote for Silverchair as well, so we can. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's yeah. uh, that's one each, guys. Which takes us there you to go. All right, the right. Thunderdome.
1: Great. So what happens in this round? This is our fourth. The same pick. as the last round. Yes, the same <laughs> okay. as last round.
0: But somebody's gonna have to give up a pick after this. So I'm just gonna jump right in. It's actually kind of funny. Both Dave and I have come down to Irish bands.
1: No spoilers. Oh, a spoiler.
0: Stay tuned. Mm. Cliffhanger. Dun dun dun. I'm picking the Cranberries. Ha ha ha. I get it. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. This is the first song I heard from the Cranberries in the U.S., even though it's off their second album, which came out within like 10 months of their first album. Um, It's off of No Need to Argue. The song is their first single from that, Zombie. It's produced by Never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> produced by Stephen Street, who, of mm. course, uh, produced most of the Smiths or engineered a lot of the Smiths and produced a lot of Morrissey before he went on to produce the Cranberries and a million other things. Uh, The label is Island. This dropped in October of 94. The song is actually about something that happened in 93, which was the uh, Warrington bombings, and which two children died. And what I kind of find interesting is it's one of those songs that takes the sound of the time to sing about something that happened in the time. Because this is a fucking grunge song if there ever was a fucking grunge song. I mean, just the guitars the fucking solos the the drumming the bassline and then the lyrics are just haunting vocals oh, yeah haunting but also even the mm-hmm. fucking music video is almost seminal to yeah. the era big time you know Dolores covered in gold paint and the Christ imagery and the children screaming and the whole like i mean fucking Metallica basically redid R- rip, this ripped video off, he ripped this later. off 2 years yeah. later yeah. with load yeah. you know <laughs> and um, also I mean, Dolores just passed away recently, which is kind of a bit Mm -hmm. much to handle because it's so unexpected. I mean, it's like with Chris Cornell. I mean, just came out of nowhere. Like the last person you'd expect. Um, I mean, they were just fucking on tour as well. Um, But yeah, it's Dolores O'Riordan, vocals, uh, guitar and keyboards. Uh, The Hogan brothers, Mike and Noel on guitar and bass. And then uh, Fergal Lawler, on drums and it's zombie I mean if you don't rock out to this song I don't think you're a human being Fuck and yes, man. the song just resonates through the time. I mean, it's that sort of fighting against this naked aggression of faceless power. I mean, it, it, I mean, I I don't want to take anything away from its original meaning uh, with the troubles and things like that. But like for me, like I think about the song now, and it feels so much like what Americans are going through with gun violence. You know, it's like the violence causes silence, and that's what we're fighting against. And it's just like it just does not stop.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like, you could make a whole 10-volume mixtape of, you know, Irish rebel songs or songs that deal with the, uh, <laughs> the ideological right. violence between Britain and Ireland. I feel like... Excuse even, me, but this is so much different. It's just about the senselessness, the other senselessness, senselessness of the violence, yeah. and it's the most powerful of those, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like people like love to latch on to U2 and uh, Sunday, Sunday Blaze Sunday. Sunday, but that has this message of sort of aside where this is just like, what are we fucking doing like literally and that's why i feel like it, it applied like this should be fucking the anthem for the anti-gun movement in the u.s because it's like what are we doing
1: better song than sunday bloody sunday anyway well, right. sorry bono but like it
0: is
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but you know and also like just the loris's Mm. fucking
0: vocals are just iconic it's killer
1: it's but it's so it's so unique as well though it's yeah. so
0: unique well it's sort of interesting as well because you know like cranberries is sort of the hogan brothers band i mean it was nolan mike who started the band they brought dolores on to be their vocalist, and sort of like they you know collaborated on most songs and you know this track is a dolores track like she gets the writing credit and the uh, uh lyric credit for this song you know this that's is amazing. her presenting herself yeah, in yeah, a yeah. band that's not necessarily her band per se uh given that it was you know the hogan brothers and uh, lawler and so there's that aspect as well like she took the sound of the time and made it's, something in
1: her angry yeah
0: right I, I don't know. I mean, I'm very, very much a huge fan of this song in general.
1: I love it. I mean, Jesus, I've heard it two billion times and I'm always happy to hear it again. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah,
2: it holds up.
0: Yeah. Which is, I mean, for a lot of the music from, you know, the mid-90s. Doesn't hold up, but this one does.
1: It holds up better than yeah, like half of the songs on this record as well, which is quite strange.
0: Very true, yes. Uh,
1: a lot, there were some of the rest of it sounds a bit... Uh, screaming trees for <laughs> yeah, uh, just pop rock you know 90s yeah. pop rock
0: and this came out of nowhere like if you listen to this whole album through it's almost impossible to believe that this song is even from that album
1: to some extent yeah yeah, yeah.
0: and I also see why it was the, the first single because
1: alright I'm, I'm not doing any more of your heavy lifting for you let's move
0: okay, on to- okay okay <laughs> Mr. Pemberton If you will.
2: Um, So, you know, for the last song, I was really tempted just to be a big asshole and kind of convince you guys to never ask me to be on this podcast again by suggesting a song from the band Creed.
1: Um, (laughs) That would have been tons
2: of fun. Well, so they're awful. um, (laughs) And technically, they're considered uh, uh, post-grunge. And they're from Tallahassee, from Florida. So it could have worked. But I do... As a, as a just a quick tangent, uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s, my, my dad, my old man, was the dean of a university in Tennessee called Lee University. And when my dad was working there, he had the extreme pleasure of kicking Scott Stapp out of college. Oh, awesome. Well done, your dad. Yeah, because he... <laughs> I'd like to meet yeah, your yeah, dad, dad and shake uh, his really, hand. Uh, he, you know, he, he knew a bad apple when he saw one. Uh, <laughs> Mister Mister uh, Scott had a little bit of a co- cocaine problem at the time, so that's just one of my favorite stories about the band Creed. It has nothing to do with this. My actual, <laughs> my actual pick for this is, is "Creep" from Radiohead, which you know I feel like in this kind of an episode you have to talk about Radiohead. You have to talk about Pablo Honey a little bit. Yeah. It's again, it's a song that's not really, it's not one of my favorite songs. Like, Radiohead never really hit for me. And I I don't know why I never got into Radiohead. I feel like I should have. I just Mm. have no excuse. But I think uh, uh, Creep is a really interesting song because I do think it holds up. I feel like it doesn't sound like any other Radiohead song, really. But I kind of equal parts hate and love it. And so I'm very conflicted about it. But, uh, yeah, the, it comes off Pablo Honey, which I think was produced by Paul Coltieri and Sean Slade. And they had worked with Dinosaur Jr. and Buffalo Tom, which is cool. And I think that might be my only piece of, like, neat information about the song. But, yeah, let's just get into one of the most, we'll call it most overplayed at frat parties in 98 songs ever written. <laughs> it's <laughs> Creep. I wish I was special You're so fucking special But I'm a creep So I think the problem with that song is that the lyrics are so accidentally universal, yeah. where everyone oh, right. has kind of felt that level of insecurity that everyone like automatically relates to it, mm-hmm. uh, right. which is maybe why it's so endearing. Yeah,
0: Yeah, it is. It's, it's a universal song everyone can sing along to.
2: Like
1: Dave having to pick yeah. this is a bit like me bringing the pumpkins to the table. I don't think either of us particularly wanted to, but felt that these <laughs> bands had to be discussed if we were going to do this episode properly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I and mean, I'm I the agree. same. Yeah. I never really got Radiohead. Like, I got that people were into Radiohead, and I thought that maybe I should have. But because it's pretentious, hard rock, white boy music, which generally I love, um, yeah, yes. But But from England. (laughs) Yeah, you know, there is that. No, I don't know what it is. It's just like, I like Pablo Honey. And then after that, my interest really diverges. But like, I don't like it enough to to say I'm a Radiohead fan.
0: But that's it as well. Like, I think we're sort of, we have sort of retconned Radiohead history. And I remember when this album came out, everyone thought it was fucking derivative in the same way that uh, fucking Bush was with Glycerine. It was just another English band. Copying the mm. sound of the time. I mean, for fuck's sake, Radiohead were in flannels in half their videos for this album. Yeah. yeah. Rocking about in the same way. And um it's also it's creep. I mean, every like creep's one of the first goddamn things you learn on guitar when you get one because it's so easy to play.
1: What's the tune with their video is the guy lying on the street?
0: <sighs> I'm not a big enough Radiohead fan to know that.
2: Uh yeah, I, I I know what you're talking about. I yeah. feel like it's. I prefer that one, whatever that <laughs> right, right. <is>.
0: Yeah, <laughs> they're perfectly Cromulet musicians, but it's also like <laughs> I feel like with uh, the band as well. Like they refused to play this song because it was their biggest hit, and like they would make their their opening band play it so they wouldn't have to. Right. They but
1: of, they did wow. this amazingly um, pretentious thing. Like I'm a huge. Tool fan who are possibly like they're up there in the top 10 pretentious rock bands right and they never done anything as pretentious as this so I think this is true and not just a conspiracy theory so Radiohead had a new album out and Alanis Morissette invited them on tour and they thought great let's do that as a way to figure out how to play the new album live and we'll just practice on the Alanis Morissette fans because none of our fans will be there. And they did that and they fucked up, they, you know, messed up after the song, or they started again, or they would do it in a different way, or and they used like the Alanis Morissette tour as as a as an experiment. which i just think is the most pretentious thing and like in anyone's done not anyone ever but you know it's up there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you England. <laughs> I don't think you can blame all yeah, of England right? for Radiohead. I think that's a bit harsh. I don't know,
0: I think we can. <laughs> we can blame them for Bush and Radiohead. England peaked I... in 1986 when it comes to music.
2: <laughs> all right.
0: <laughs>
2: that's just me talking. I, I mean I, I want to make a I want to make a shirt now that says, I blame all of England for Radiohead. (laughs) (laughs) I want that on the shirt. I feel like that would sell really well. I
0: feel that would sell well also. Awesome. All right. We have one last entry
1: from Hmm. Mr. David Gordon. Irish Davis, he's now known. So I saved the best for last. This is a track from a band that is um, in my top 10 favorite bands. They're an Irish band from Kilkenny that you've probably never heard of. They enjoyed some success in the mid to late 90s and then were dropped by their record label six months after their second album came out. Like, don't even give a time to be a slow burner. The band broke up. They couldn't get another deal. There were all these complications with the, the previous label refusing to sell, the back catalogue. Their first record got deleted like, at this point. Crazy uh, stuff. And it was so, it was so good. Uh, like, to me, they're the best Irish band ever. And I'm including you two in that, right? <laughs> and the Sultans of Ping. It's Curb Dog, and it's track off their first album, which was their self-titled album, which came out in March of 1994. The band is Cormac Battle on guitar and vocals, Dara Butler on drums, Billy Dalton on guitar, and Colin Fennelly on bass. This record was produced by Jack Endino... The song I've got is Clock. Love it. As I said, Jack and Dino uh, produced it. It was actually recorded in Wales in the same studio or at the same time Sepultura recording Chaos AD. And Dino says the whole thing took five weeks to record and if it had been up to him, this track would have been a single, but it never was. This album and their their second album on the turn, they're both of them more than the sum of their parts. Is like It was really hard for me to pick what song off this album to choose because like there's not one that i think that necessarily blows all of the other songs out of the water but to me like the album does and i think the fact that they never got beyond this and and that they're not still making records is it's far down the list but it's one of the great tragedies of all time you know (laughs) i just think they got it they got really the the raw end you know and i love this and i love like it's so catchy like there's so many things that Cormac Battle does with his uh, vocal melodies coming in. And it's it's like Metallica meets Nirvana in some way. Like they have the real sludginess of that kind of thrash riff-rama justice for all feel, but with a Nirvana production value and a Nirvana poppiness. I love it. Anyway, I rest my case.
0: Interesting. Like I, I get where you're coming from, man. <laughs> but it's sort of like, okay, imagine you're at a bar And you're going to rock out to this or you're going to rock out to zombie? I'm
1: definitely going to rock out to this. I'm sorry, but I'm going to rock.
0: I love zombie, but this is like, fuck. Man, I don't know. It's voting. Whose turn is it to vote, by the way? It's mine, isn't it?
2: I think we've come back around. Yeah. yeah,
1: Come back around again. So you're going to vote for Boring Head? I almost have to so that I don't (laughs) know. Or the little band that could.
0: Oh, man. I do love Curb Dog, but I feel if I love Curb Dog, I'm going to, like, kill the cranberries chances because i know you're not gonna vote for radiohead <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh so this uh, how this is how it works a political move
0: yeah know, big time. yeah yeah it's sort of it's come down to pure politics
1: yeah it's Kilkenny versus limerick oh and i want limerick
0: to win <laughs> <laughs> fuck yeah i gotta vote radiohead
1: you fucking sack of shit <laughs>
0: let it blow up in my face uh.
2: <laughs> uh. Dave uh. P what do you got like what a great like game of thrones level betrayal yeah I, big feel like I just witnessed the, the end of your friendship yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm really excited to have been on on the last episode of my <laughs> uh, don't worry I'll
1: but uh, I'll do him like Tywin did Tyrion or the vice versa in the parking lot afterwards <laughs> Good luck with that. Have uh, my this is
2: hard. This is hard because I, I had never heard of Curb Dog before. And it's so exciting to, you know, be introduced to a new great band, especially one that really never got a fair, fair shake. But that said, we are joking ourselves if we're not going to vote for the Cranberries on this. Like that. It's a <laughs> come on. Woo! Like that song, that voice, that melody. It's it's unbeatable. I'm sorry. Thank you, David.
1: Right. So hey, the Cranberries, I have to say that I vote for Radiohead. just kidding cranberries whatever fuck Uh, (laughs) look can't argue with zombie and I feel you can't do curb dog justice with one song and I think everyone listening now should go and listen to their two albums agreed and by the end of it you'll realize that they're an amazing band and it's a crying shame that that they're not still making music All right,
0: guys we got to uh, move on to the literal thunderdome So uh, the first round was L7 from me. The second round was uh, Jehu from Dave P. Third round was Silverchair from Mm -hmm. Dave G. The last round was Cranberries, which means I have to drop one out between L7 and Cranberries. And what Dave Pemberton just said, I mean, I gotta go with Cranberries over L7. I'm sorry. (laughs) Like, I really do. I mean, I love L7. I own original vinyl pressings from back in the day, but if I'm thinking about the mixtape, I would feel like if you started side 2 of the mixtape with a zombie, it would be fucking amazing. It would come out of nowhere. Yeah,
2: it just makes too much sense,
0: you know. And so that's why I'm going I'm yeah. going to drop out L7. And so my picks cranberries, that leaves Silverchair for Dave Gordon and uh, a very esoteric <laughs> song mm-hmm. for Dave mm-hmm. Pemberton. Oh, yes. So do we wanna take just a one minute breather so we can collect our thoughts before we make our final arguments?
1: No, I'm gonna talk over that one minute about how awesome curbdog are. No, um,
0: <laughs> No, uh, David, it's Silverchair. Or so whatever, Silverchair. Um The fifteen year old Wonder kids from Australia.
1: Yeah, but you know, you got me all misty eyed thinking about the the homeland now. Like once it gets to this point, I can argue for Silverchair over my own kinspeople in the neighbouring city of Limerick. Uh, so if I'm throwing my weight behind Zombie at this point. I love Silverchair. I'll, I'll put them on whatever mixtape anybody wants, but I can't argue against uh, Cranberries and Zombie. And now when you put the idea of like starting side two, that's a very tantalising start to a mixtape.
0: Dave, do you want to? Uh, yeah. Do you want to throw in some weight behind uh, your pick, or do you want to throw behind Cranberry?
2: I mean, I gotta. It's. I mean, as much as I love Drive Like Jehu, and as much as I love Yank Crime, and as much as that album and that song specifically, I feel influenced so much of the scene in Seattle. Again, it, it come on, guys. It's Cranberries. Like, come on. Cool. We all know it. i I feel music
1: wins I feel music wins and also i feel ireland wins which i feel is a win for me too
0: Uh, ireland did win (laughs) it it, it works out perfect for the mixtape i'm from seattle you're from ireland they're both repped on the tape i mean i like that that. right yeah wow and also i mean come on this has got to be track one aside too
1: well we'll decide that
0: in the next episode won't we yeah so next episode we are (laughs) going to be doing track listings and as we're going to be wrapping up season one, yeah, I would like to thank David Pemberton profusely for joining us. Thanks a million, Dave. Mm. Dave, do you have anything you want to plug? Thank
2: you, guys. Um, Right now, you guys can uh, follow me on Twitter. It's at DaveYourFave, all one word. Very easy to remember. As far as things I want to plug, I know this is going to come out a little out of left field, but uh, I am uh, a manager for an app called uh, Scribd, S-C-R-I-B-D. And if anyone has made it this far into the episode and loves grunge music and also literature, I would highly suggest checking out the app. Uh, it's a reading app, it's a reading subscription. It's basically the Netflix of books, and it is uh, just an unbeatable deal. It's all digital, so ebooks, audiobooks, magazines, stuff like that. I don't mean to get too corporate on you guys, but it is like the best way to get audiobooks, and I got to rep it. So I'm throwing that out there. Very
1: nice. Take us home, David. So that was our All Kinds of Bands from All Over the Place episode of My Seattle Mixtape. We settled for Zombie by The Cranberries. My Seattle Mixtape is edited by Adrian Shepard. If you enjoyed this episode and previous episodes and you feel like you want to support the important work that we do, uh, feel free to give us a tip in our PayPal tip jar or subscribe to our Patreon and you may think, but the season is wrapping up. Why would I want to Patreon these guys a couple of bucks a month? But there's going to be more. We're not going away. We'll be back with a new season. Maybe not another My Seattle mixtape. Maybe another mixtape. We haven't really finalized it yet. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Or have we? And we're just not telling you. So you can do all that stuff if you go to our website, which is My Mixtape mymixtapepodcast.com dot rocks. And all of the links to monetize us in those ways are on there. Uh, we thank everybody for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll be back with track listing next time. Thanks again to Dave Pemberton. We're out of here. Bye, everybody.